I just remember sitting in church one day and it was probably the saddest day in my life because mm. I just didn't believe it, you know? Hello, Internet. You're listening to Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. This is my show where I talk to people who have changed their minds about big, important things. Uh, I'm Luke T. Harrington, award-winning novelist, best-selling humorist, and now Super Mario Brothers 35 champion, which I'm feeling pretty good about. Uh if you have a Nintendo Switch, you uh, you should check out Super Mario Brothers 35. Um, it's kind of like Tetris 99, if you're familiar with that game. Uh, if you don't know either one, basically all you need to know is it's the original Super Mario Brothers on NES, uh, except it's a quote-unquote Battle Royale, um, or Battle Royal. I have no idea how you say that. Anyway... Um, <laughs> 35 people play the game at once. Every time you kill an enemy, you throw them onto another player's screen and you play the levels over and over again until there's only one man or woman standing. Um, It's pretty intense. I, uh, and the other day I finally won it. So I'm probably the greatest achievement of my life. Uh, probably the greatest moment of my life, you know, forget my wedding, forget the birth of my children. I won at super Mario brothers 35. And then I actually kept playing and I won a few more times. Um, once you get the rhythm down, it's, uh, it's, it's very doable, uh, which I don't know. In some ways that kind of makes it better than the average, uh, battle Royale game. I don't know. Um, it's fun. You should try it. I think it's officially only around until March. Like it's a limited time thing, but it's a free game. If you have the online service, um, I'm giving everyone the impression with this show that I like do nothing but play video games all day, I guess. Um, and that may be the case, but I also do this podcast, uh, where I talk to people who have changed their minds (laughs) about big, important things. Uh, this week I talked to, a recording artist um, go records under the name Yons Y O N S Space Ghost Yons in some contexts. Uh, he's a cool guy. Um, makes really cool, like very chill, thoughtful hip hop. So if that is up your alley, I would recommend uh, flipping over to Spotify after you listen to this and checking out his stuff. Um, he's a talented guy. I want to see his music do well. So. Um, yeah, I was very happy to have him on the show. Uh, what we talked about was his loss of Christian faith, um, which is, you know, something we touch on frequently on this show. So I don't feel like I have to give you too much background there. Um, I'll go ahead and just flip you over to our conversation and I will see you on the other side. Jans, welcome to the show, man. What's up, man? What's up? How you doing? Hey, thanks for coming on. Yeah, um, Jans is a very talented uh, hip-hop artist. Uh, if you have Spotify, I highly recommend checking out his work. All right, yeah. so um, Jans, uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, so this is a... <laughs> 
Well, slightly complicated journey the way you described it to me. Um, you tell me you were raised Pentecostal, uh, kind of lost yeah. your faith, kind of found more of a Calvinistic faith and then lost that again. <laughs> now you're in, you described it as, as a moralistic therapeutic deism. Uh, is that? Yeah, I described it as how the way people described it to me, <laughs> I would say. Right yeah. So I'll try to be brief. Um, yeah, I just grew up in a uh, very specific, uh, I guess, Pentecostal um, um, organization. Um, and I say Pentecostal loosely in the sense that it was in a Pentecostal tradition, but they didn't have the the, the sort of orthodox, if you if, if you consider Pentecostal churches orthodox. Um, but they, even by Pentecostal standards, what we believe growing up, was a lot was out there and uh <laughs> was it so, like oneness pentecostalism like jesus only or that would have been safer <laughs> 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 that would have actually been a little bit more uh you know uh, orthodox what I, I guess t- we the organization i grew up in was founded by a uh, woman um name was bernice hicks she passed away a few years ago but um, she started when she was 19. She passed through the church until she was like 96. Mm-hmm. And um, she was headquartered out of where I live now, Jeffersonville, Indiana. Um, but she had churches all over there, the United States and all and, and throughout the world, Mexico and um, India. <clears throat> but she um, basically has a, a, a doctrine that she had a lot of different doctrines. But I guess if you were to highlight her most um well-known doctrine of mm-hmm. by her followers it was uh, about the tabernacle the the children of israel in the old testament um tabernacle that the tabernacle was laid out in the form of a cross i guess to um in anticipation of christ she drew from a lot of different things as i came to know over the years like kabbalism and uh, a lot of jewish traditions so we pretty much learned the bible even the New Testament, uh, a lot of Hebrew translations and things like that. And so I was heavily involved in the church growing up as a kid. Um, we had Bible quiz. And so I was like a really top like Bible quizzer. We would go on trips, Bible quiz. And it was like very important for me at the time sure. to the point I got involved, invited to a Nike basketball camp at one time. And I chose to go to a Bible quiz tournament. Over like <laughs> being with Kobe Bryant, you know. Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah. So it was um, it was a pretty intense upbringing. I don't know if you ever seen a Source Family documentary on Netflix. Yeah. Um, but it was about a, a cult in California, and they kind of like sat around, and they chanted, and when I saw this documentary, it really freaked me out because <laughs> we did the exact kind of chants and said huh. the exact same words as this, this, this doc, this cult in this documentary. Hmm. And, um, I don't know the ties between that cult and the church or how they, how we ended up getting the same kind of, you know, chance they were doing, but that's the kind of stuff we would do. But there was a lot normal about it too. You know, we have some normal-ish church services as well, especially when there was a lot of guests, you know? So Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it was able to go under the radar. Mm -hmm. That's why it never occurred to a lot of people that it was maybe a cult or had cult tendencies 
it, it kind of shaped and kind of separated you from it did everything it could to kind of separate you from um normal life if you will like we weren't allowed to have tv growing up so for most of my childhood we didn't have tv in our house but um they started to get more lenient as time went on but during that 90s period where i grew up in the church um yeah it was very strict and mm-hmm. uh we were very devout we had to go to the office and send up a like a prayer request to people in the organization higher ups mm-hmm. to even date a specific girl or you know mm-hmm. uh, yeah we had to wait for them to, they sat in the room and they kind of prayed and they would mm-hmm. see visions and they would say hey yeah you can date this girl <laughs> and um, one of those visions because you know we started doing like hip-hop music when i was in high school and we were like a christian hip-hop band at church mm-hmm. and obviously that caused problems <laughs> in yeah, the yeah. church so they sent up this witness and they were like yeah y'all need to stop doing hip-hop music and i think that was the first time where i really just kind of felt disconnected mm-hmm. from the church and because mm-hmm. i met a guy um at school um mm-hmm. this guy his name was uh kb i don't i don't know if you're in a christian hip-hop but he's signed to reach records nowadays okay. um <clears throat> with like lecrae and those guys but mm-hmm. he was going to school with me and my cousin at the time and he's he wasn't a christian mm-hmm. he got saved through my cousin through Christian hip hop. Oh. And we would rap and we would do like talent shows and everything. We would win secular talent shows as Christian artists. Right on. And uh, KB became really devout um, mm-hmm. after not being saved. He used to be a guy I used to see on the campus, you know, with a bunch of girls and everything. And he became really devout Christian. Like he really studied the Bible. My cousin and I, we were kind of religious. We would go to church and stuff, but outside of church, we really wanted to blend in and really wanted to, um, you know, be in the world, I guess. Mm-hmm. But we were really convicted. We obviously believed we kind of had these double lives going on, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. KB wanted to really take this Christian thing seriously and not for it to be just a religion. Mm-hmm. And he started to go to other churches. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, at the time, he went to Without Walls, which is Paula, Paula White's church. Okay. And, you know, and he came back to our church and he just started pointing out like heresies <laughs> that the pastor was teaching. So me and KB got into like confrontation over that. And it was it was it was really tough, man. I remember him crying like he left my house one time just crying. Wow. And at the time. I was convinced that I was right, but I didn't know that my talks with him had so much of an effect on me and the way I Mm -hmm. thought. Mm -hmm. And so it took probably a year or two, just me kind of conflicted about some of the things KB was saying um, to really start to challenge um, some of the things that I was being taught in the church. Mm -hmm. And I I guess it was, it wasn't, it didn't help that, um, I really wanted to do hip hop, you know, and the sure. church was like, no, hip hop isn't of, of, you know, they, they allowed us to do hip hop music, but it had to be 
a very specific kind of thing where they can really hear the words. I recall one time we went over to this church called Crossover Church mm-hmm. in Tampa where KB was going. And then there was like Lecrae and these other artists. And it was, I felt like that's where I needed to be, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and it really, it was tough because we were, if you have, you know, I don't know if you grew up in a small church or not. I did, um, yeah. But, you know, if you're responsible for the music or the youth, you know, you can't leave the church. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like you so much of a burden is placed on you sure. to be the next generation of that, uh, you know, particular parish or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so us visiting other churches was almost seen as like, you know, mm-hmm. like we we're traitors, or, you know, and. So they would say, man, y'all going to these other churches and stuff like that. And they would talk about us leaving. And, you know, um, we had some friends that went off to college and they would kind of be talked about. Like, you know, they left the message. That's what we called our church, kind of the message, the bride's message. Like, oh, they left the message. And so it was like this fear of not living up to what you were supposed to be. And I remember going to Crossover Church. And we would do music and everybody would say, man, you guys are great. It's pretty obvious that y'all are made to do this, to, mm-hmm. to be artists and create. And we couldn't really do what we wanted to do at the church. And so for me, music allowed me a way, I guess, out. Mm-hmm. But even then, I was still convicted because it's like, Oh, you just want to do music. You just want to be famous, and you just want to, you know, you have those thoughts, and it and it just kills you. It's like, man, you know, I'm I'm choosing the wrong path, and so I kind of figured I'll move from Florida up to here, Jeffersonville, Indiana, and just kind of sell myself out to this teaching, and that will that will be the answer. Maybe I just need to move closer. I won't have any doubts. And and this was when I was about 21, 22. Mm-hmm. And I moved here and I had been dating my wife for a while. Mm-hmm. And so we got married. And within about a year or two of us being married, I just remember sitting in church one day and it was probably the saddest day in my life because mm-hmm. I just didn't believe it, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was, it was just so tough, man. I just remember feeling like, it's like I would imagine somebody that's hooked on heroin, mm. you know, that is going through withdrawal, you know, mm. it's that kind of feeling of like, man, I don't even know what will satisfy me. What mm. will, um, I don't know what will, you know, I, I don't know what's the point of living, you know, sure. it was just a real dark, you know, moment. Yeah. And and I was married, you know, I was, <laughs> I was yeah, married. I was in Sunday school, like, you know, in Sunday school ministry, youth ministry at the time, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 20, 23 years old. Yeah. And, um, and I was like, I didn't believe anymore, man. Yeah. And, I think the, the early twenties crisis of faith is a, a rite of passage. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I definitely had that. Like I remember, uh, in the early 2000s, when new new atheism was on the rise, I definitely had a solid 
week to a month, maybe a few months. Oh, wow. What if it's all not true? And at the time my wife was working in full-time Christian ministry and I was like, Oh no, (laughs) what do I do? So yeah, I sympathize with that for sure. Yeah. Yeah, man. You know, it was, it was tough. And I, I, I remember at the time kids would come to me about these issues, you know, and, um, you know, I remember just kind of arguing with one of the youth, you know, in the church that was just like a very adamant atheist, <laughs> but it's like he was stuck at church. Yeah, yeah. Like his, <laughs> and, parents, his parents were dragging him or he came to argue or. <laughs> his parents, you know, made him come to church. So he would come and he would just have this everyday parking lot sort of debate with everybody, sure. um, you know, just kind of slinging mud at everything. And, you know, and he would really challenge me. And then, like I said, I know a lot of people in the church that I would talk to them about this stuff and they would agree. They'd be like, hey, man, yeah, that doesn't make sense. And not speaking Christianity per se, but our spe- uh, specific belief system. Sure. And they'll say, yeah, this doesn't line up with the Bible or scripture mm-hmm. or Orthodox Christianity. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they were kind of stuck, you know. It was like a drug in a sense mm-hmm. of like. Uh, because our church, you know, it was a very physical church. You know, you could run, you could jump, you could do cartwheels literally in the church, you know. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, it's like you can't go to another church and get that experience, you know. Sure, and yeah. so a lot of people, it was just nothing else would really would ever compare to this church. Mm. Because of the, the just the stronghold that it had on you mentally. Mm. So, um, you know, I remember going to my first reformed church. Hmm. Um, and it just wasn't powerful enough. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> it just wasn't powerful enough. And that's what I did for about a year. I joined three different like Calvinist churches and, you know, I said, Hey, maybe I need to be more involved as a Christian. Mm-hmm. Even though I wasn't fully a believer, you know, I said, everyone has doubts in their faith. Um, mm-hmm. I need to get this Christian thing right. You know, um, so I went to a few reformed churches, some of the more prominent ones, because there's the Southern Theological Seminary here in Louisville. Mm-hmm. And I went to the church that's kind of uh, joined up with the Theological Seminary. It's called Emmanuel here. Uh-huh. And it's a nice church, nice people. Never had any problem with anybody there. But um, they were like in the heart of Louisville. So we do some outreach stuff there. Mm-hmm. And. And I felt good about that. I say, hey, yeah, this is a church I can go out and help save lives. I was like, hey, from a practical standpoint, they're doing work, you know. Mm-hmm. Like my church, I felt like we weren't doing any work. We didn't have any real outreach ministries outside of like the prison ministry, which is kind of easy. <laughs> it's like guys are just lining up to go to, you know, to, <laughs> to go, you know, in prison. Sure. Um but we didn't hit the streets. We weren't doing anything as far as helping people. And I said, I want to do something that helps people mm-hmm. live on my faith in a practical way. Mm-hmm. And for a while, that kind of satisfied me. I was like, okay, um, I can live out this Christian faith practically. But mm-hmm. uh, there came a point where I realized I can't do that. I can't, I can't just, um, you know, co-sign these beliefs if I don't believe them um, no matter how much I agree with what they're doing um, 
from a practical standpoint, um, mm-hmm. as far as helping people. And there, we had a outreach. This was at a second, the second church that I went to. This was more of an urban church, more black people, mm-hmm. more in the hood. Mm-hmm. But we had an outreach in the hood. And I remember the, the, the pastor, he, after we, you know, helping people, giving people like food and things like that, he stood up and he gave the gospel. And, and I remember him, you know, wanting to make sure that he gave the gospel and wanting to make sure that he let people know, hey, you know, they were hellbound mm-hmm. and they didn't accept his gospel. Mm-hmm. And I just remember that just offending me, you know, like well, not offending me, but just kind of being like, man, I don't, you know, I can't. I can't stand behind this if I don't believe it, because, mm-hmm. this, you know, they are adamant about this being the main thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I don't fault them for that. I feel like if you believe the gospel, it should definitely be the main thing. Um, but yeah, I realized I had to make a decision at that time. So from there, that's when I just kind of did away with the whole church thing mm-hmm. altogether. Where was your wife on this? Was she kind of on the she same page you were? Or? She was still at the same church. My, my wife still goes to the, the original church. Uh-huh. And she's one of those people where it's like, it's more of she has a lot more um, loyalty mm-hmm. than I do. And so for her, it was like a loyalty thing. But it she's was like still at the Pentecostal church. Yeah, she's still at the Pentecostal church. Sure. And oh. so she, you know, my wife agrees with me on a lot of things, but um, I, I learned a valuable lesson from her in how to respect um, people over everything, your relationships. Mm-hmm. Because, um, and that's more important than what people say they believe most of the time. And because I had that point where I was just challenging the church people and kind of being obnoxious, you know, on Facebook and, you know, um, and I think that's another layer to the change your mind concept thing. It's like, okay, I changed my mind about Christianity, but I, there was a point where I was like, yeah, I need to call out. Um, everything that's wrong about this church. Mm-hmm. And and I learned a valuable lesson in that um, just speaking with my parents, my parents, they lived through very tumultuous times. You know, my, my mom, both of her parents were murdered. Oh, wow. And oh yeah, both her parents were murdered. Her mom was stabbed in the neck and her dad was killed over a card game. Jeez. Yeah. And so, and my dad, he had a very tough childhood. He was kind of, you know, disconnected from his father, even though he grew up with his father, his, him and his father did not have a great relationship. And he went to the military and then he was, um, he was abused in the military. Uh-huh. You know, and he has post-traumatic stress uh, from that time. You know, a lot of some racist stuff happened. You know, um, some hazing that went on. And so they came to the church from that background. Mm-hmm. My mom, she was in Atlanta growing up. She's seen the world. She's experienced yeah. that. And so the church gave her a sense of belonging and identity and, and security, having to live with 
a stepmother who really, you know, her stepmother didn't see them as her own kids. She kind of had to adopt my mom and her sisters because their dad died, yeah, you know, sure. and take her in the family that already had like five kids, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so my my parents, they raised us to keep us away from that, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, a better life for us. Than they had a better upbringing and childhood. So in a lot of ways, you know, I looked at my childhood like, man, my childhood sucked. You know, we didn't have much growing up and we were in church and I wasn't able to make friends. I couldn't go to prom, couldn't do anything as a kid, you know? Yeah, yeah. But I, you know, looking back, I was like, I had a much better childhood than my parents did. Much better. Mm-hmm. And so it allowed me to realize that, man, I was attacking these people. Um for something that saved their life and it just taught me to have more grace mm-hmm. for anything you know just for politics whatever you know you just mm-hmm. don't know why people hold on to the things they hold on to um like that since we were talking about the new atheists a little bit i mean this is probably the one of the biggest weaknesses in their attack was that they insisted on treating religion as just a series of intellectual propositions or whatever like is this true is it not true um, right when the, i mean the reality is religion to <laughs> a religious person is so much more than that like it's you know it's what gives them their weekly routine it's it's what um connects them to the people around them it's like you said for a lot of people it's like the only refuge they have from a miserable life <laughs> or at least a, a troubled life yeah. you know there is something to be said for that. You know, one of, one of the things I um, encounter a lot doing this show is our beliefs are, you know, often determined not primarily by like the evidence in front of us, what we, you know, seriously consider to be true, but um, by the people around us uh, and what, what, what they'll allow us to believe. <laughs> I mean, that's, that, that's yeah. maybe the cynical way of putting it, but like, like the uh, beliefs are something that connects us to the people around us. Even if you decide to leave a certain thing, um, you have to fight really hard to, I guess, shake that from your identity. It's like a lot of people still consider me a Christian rapper. You know, uh-huh. I haven't done Christian hip hop in over a decade. So for a lot of people, even in the hip hop community, I faced a lot of rejection because of that. Even by people who would say, man, you're really good. I really like your music. Um, but not really being, you know, a, in the Christian lifestyle or in the Christian, you know, culture or and not really fitting in with outside of that. And that for me was a, a very tough thing because I didn't want to feel like I'm I'm forcing my you know forced back into it just because you know that's all I can be my main issue was you know during the new atheism um phase or during that phase where the pastor was preaching out there I, I didn't want to feel ashamed you know mm-hmm. I want I want to feel that that boldness and that pride that he had mm-hmm. speaking those words I felt like to me that is a real Christian, you know, that's what it sure. means to be a Christian. One of the, um, one of the things I keep, you know, hitting on in my conversations with people on the show is, is how, I mean, disruptive it can be when your core beliefs 
change, you know, like when you feel the, whatever you believe most confidently, like whether it's religion or something else, when this, this belief at the core of you is shaken, like how devastating that can be to people's uh, psyches and uh, moral compasses and almost anything else, you know? My last guest on the show, Joshua Campbell, who, you know, in some ways had kind of a similar journey to you. Do you know Joshua at all? He's kind of in our broader circle. He's He just had a, the first issue of his graphic novel come out, which is, it's called Two Stories. It's an autobiographical uh, piece about kind of how he was raised in the church, lost his faith, and eventually found his way back to it. Something he told me was, you know, he, when he was like, hardcore atheist i'd kind of tried to embrace like existentialism of you create your own meaning in life yeah. or whatever he said i believe that for a while but eventually i came around to um the realization that like if i create my own meaning then life really is meaningless like i'm just imagining a meaning yeah. and the, the only logical thing to do is just kill myself you know and he attempt actually attempted suicide it is kind of illustrative, I think, of I'll how conclusions. I guess. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I'm just saying. I, I think that illustrates like how um, yeah. fundamental like religious beliefs can be to the human psyche. You know, of like yeah. this is this is what holds your core steady, and when it's gone, like who knows what's going to happen? You know. Um. So I I don't know. Um, yeah. No. I mean, it's uh. Yeah, because I've had those, obviously, you know, for me, it was, it's something I've thought about so much mm-hmm. because it's it's really defining for um, people that have, that grew up in, in, grew up in church and then you're trying to, you're always constantly asking yourself where do you belong or where, you know, what's the meaning of life? A lot of people obviously don't bother themselves with those questions because they but I think when you grew up, when you grow up kind of defined by that, um, defined by our Christianity or defined by religious belief, um, and then you leave that belief, it's like you you can't, uh, you know, avoid that question. So I can see why somebody would, you know, drive themselves to that conclusion of, hey, you know. I'm, I'm going to have to kill myself. Like it's, you know, it's, you're constantly bombarded with that, with those thoughts of what, what am I, what's my purpose and what's my meaning for, for, for living. And I'm, you know, it's something I'm still battling with, you know, my, a lot of my music deals with that. And it's, you know, and it's, it's like, I, you know, when you talk about your books and stuff, it's like, I can totally relate, man. Cause a lot of my music, even the stuff that people might like, it's like, they don't really, um, a lot of people aren't, if they like it, it's usually because of the, the, the melody or something sometimes yeah. or the, the, the raps or, you know, like bars or, you know, but they're not hearing what I'm saying, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not connecting with, it doesn't relate to the average hip hop, you know, fan or um, mm-hmm. listener a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think separates uh, us, you know, somebody like me and the guy you're just talking about, um, from a lot of people, you know, even though I think a lot of people would have these questions, you know, they just, life just kind of gets in the way. Mm-hmm. And for us, it's like, it's something that's always at the forefront of, mm-hmm. 
you know, of our thinking. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Cause I'm curious. Um, are you, are you glad that your religious upbringing put these questions in your head or do you kind of resent it for that? That's a good question. I've never been asked that question. I, I would say I'm glad, man, because I think I'm glad to be raised the way that I was raised. I feel like had I not, obviously if I didn't meet, if the church hadn't existed, I wouldn't have, my parents met through the church, so I wouldn't be here um, first and foremost, but say they did meet before the church and I was born before they came to the church, I would likely have been different. Um, uh, You know, I look at my older brother in a lot of ways, my older brother, he what they weren't as strict with my oldest brother, and <clears throat> I think that's why they were as strict as they were with me. <laughs> um, my oldest brother, because I remember my oldest brother, like I would get whoopings, like when I was a kid, like I would, my dad would beat my ass, you know, like for for like staying out, you know, you know, on the corner with the trying to hang out with the guys um, on a Bible quiz, like church night or something, you know, and you know he he would stop on the corner and you know yell at me to get home. You know, and at the time I hated that, man. I hated that it was embarrassing. I felt like just stifled, but I realized it was love now, you know, because um, had I been able to stay out with those guys, I would have I would have been a drug dealer. And I I couldn't see myself being a drug dealer at the time, but my dad could see that, you know. Yeah, yeah. He could see that that's what was going to happen. He could see hang because all those guys became drug dealers every last one of those guys i was on the corner with wow hanging out we were you know it was middle school at the time so you know um it was pretty innocent at the time sure we were just talking about girls and whatnot and you know playing football but he could he he he, you know he had the wisdom to know that that's what was going to happen i was not to go to parties or prom or any of that and i think that had a lot to do with it in the church my dad would make sure I was always in church. He would make sure that I was, you know, um, in Bible study mm-hmm. and that I, we had Bible quiz at the time. Mm-hmm. And he would make sure that I learned my Bible quiz material and that I valued Bible quiz. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just dove into Bible quiz because it was so like, it was the only thing I was kind of allowed to do. And, but I, I realized looking back, like, um, I'm, I would say I'm actually glad that that happened. Because I for sure, like as as tough as my life has been because of it, it would have been for sure worse. That's definitely another function of of a religion that um, people that want to treat it as an intellectual exercise tend to ignore is that it, you know, keeps communities that are on the edge kind of out of trouble. Well, let me ask you this because I, I know you have kids. Is your wife raising them in the church? Are you... Like, yeah, I was I was kind of worried about where that would <laughs> go. Obviously, it's, we're, sure. we're, we're still young here. My kids are five and three sure, or two. Sure. So it's like, you know, we still have a little more time to figure things out. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, she's she's been taking them to church. And, um, yeah, I don't mind that at all. I think I would probably prefer that over nothing <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right now. Um, but because um, I don't I don't know what exactly to tell my kids, you know, mm-hmm. I, I still, you know, for me, it's, it's easy to, um, 
to allow, you know, sort of, like you said, the moralistic therapeutic deism kind of thing. Like I'll listen to Odyssey with them and, you know, um, we'll talk about God or, you know, Odyssey, but it's like weird. Adventures in Odyssey, the, yeah, the Adventures in Odyssey, I'm sorry. Right on, right on. <laughs> you know, maybe that had been too Christian for you. <laughs> Just throw the Odyssey reference out there with no context. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Adventures in Odyssey, man. Like we grew up on that. Um, sure. But this is it's the only way I really know how to raise kids. This is how I was raised, and so yeah. it's, it's tough for me to like raise them any other way. Like I see some people who are just like reading, reading, you know, the flying spaghetti monster to the kid, and I'm just that scares me. You know, I'm like, I'm freaked out by stuff like that. You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like I don't, you know, it's like maybe that shows me that I'm, you know, I'm a believer or something. I don't know. I just weirded out by people kind of, you know, preaching atheism to their kids. I'm like yeah, sure. it's kind of falling into your typical, you know, Christian evangelical experience, you know? And so it's not much for me to object to, you know, mm-hmm. unless I'm just going to be like a hardcore atheist or something, which I'm not. <laughs> Where would you say your beliefs have landed like how would you define your beliefs i mean are you just kind of broadly agnostic like shrug i don't know or like where are you in terms of what you um, personally man it's 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 tough for me to say a lot of times because i'm if i'm if i'm honest about my beliefs i'm a skeptic in the sense of um it's hard for me to believe now anything with a miraculous kind of um, underpinning, I guess. And and it's not because I, I don't think that could happen. I think with a lot of the talk now in the scientific community about alternate universes and whatnot, it's like, you know, it's you got to it's like the playing field is wide open for anything, you know. Yeah, but um, I can't say I subscribe to the, the feeling that we came from nothing, or you know, because I don't even think atheists believe that. I, don't, I, I think that's kind of silly, you know. <laughs> yeah. When I think about that, like I don't, I don't see, I can't wrap my head around that. So when people say they can't wrap their head around um, Jesus being born of a virgin, I think that's more believable than the universe just kind of just abrupt <laughs> coming from anything, you know. Um. But yeah, I, I think spirit, I think the thing that really connects with me the most emotionally, because I see that part of your question as far as rational versus emotional, yeah. the Christian faith connects with me emotionally, uh-huh. um, mainly, be, you know, and, I, and I've tried to give myself enough distance from it so that I'm not, so that I'm sure that it's not just because, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time with it. I grew up in it. So of course it's going to make the most sense to me if i grew up muslim would it you know would islam make more sense to me um but i would say just from a philosophical standpoint i like the idea of a creator of being obviously if someone if i or you became god we would get lonely you know um we want to have someone to spend eternity with but someone that truly loves us for who we are and not someone that just likes us because we got a lot of money, you know? And 
And I think that makes, to me, that makes sense to my logical brain as far as, and, and my emotional, like, sense of like, hey, God wants a true love, somebody that loves him, um, even when everyone else says he doesn't exist or, you know, just kind of loves his character. Because I feel like that is the story of the Bible. It's like you have to fall in love with the character of God, um, even against your rational thinking sometimes. It's like, hey, do you, um, you know, looking at from a moral standpoint, um, choosing humility over pride, choosing, um, you know, a life, ascetic life over living, you know, wants and lusts. Um, I think there's something to that, man. So that connects with me on a rational level and also like an emotional level. No, I mean, you know, I'm right there with you as a <laughs> an, a creative type as well. You know, you just kind of keep scratching at the edge of the universe until you find meaning there. You know, I have three questions I, I try to close with. Um, these um, questions of epistemology ontology how do we know truth how do we know ourselves um so before we uh close up here let me ask you these um yeah what is identity you know where do you get your identity does everyone have an identity what do you think yeah those last three questions i read them i was like man you you might need jordan peterson or something on (laughs) (laughs) yeah we do a little bit of philosophy 101 here um (laughs) Man, for me, uh, you know, just writing my answer to that, you know, I was just asking myself the question, like, what is that? Um, I think for me, it's twofold. It's like who you are between you and God, you know, or you and yourself, if you know, if you're not a person that believes in God, like, that's something I always have to come back to, you know, whenever I put something out that I think people gonna respond to on the internet or something, it's like, <laughs> and then you don't get the response. You're like, oh, man, like, and... And you're just kind of forced to be just in your aloneness to deal with, um, to realize like you are ultimately is by yourself, you know, and and just having to come to grips like, are you satisfied with yourself? Are you, you know, are you right with um, yourself or your creator or God? It's like, you know, when you die, it's just you and God, you know, at that at that moment. And. Are, are your choices pure? You know, have you tried to do everything you can to find the truth? To me, that is, uh, you know, identity first and foremost. But obviously that doesn't mean much to everyone else in the world. So I feel like beyond that, I think it's about your family, man. Like how the people you're responsible to and the people you um, have been sort of given, you know, some jurisdiction over how have you handled that? You know, what, what, what your responsibility you get, you've been given. Sure. Um, I think that's a, to me, that answers the question of identity for me. I, I think there is, I mean, even apart from the, the question of, um, of God, there, there is something universal about, you know, that question of coming to the end of your life and, you know, in whatever capacity you have, who's having to, ask yourself if you've made the right choices, if you've done something meaningful with your life. Um, you know, and may, maybe religion um, uh, reifies that in a, in a more concrete way, but I, I think it is, there is something universal to the human experience there. 
Um, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, no. I, <laughs> just like yeah. 10 hours past your bedtime. <laughs> it really is. It really is. I, I usually go to bed at noon. Um, <laughs> I'm an old, old man. Um, You've been up for two days now. It's true. It's true. Um, <laughs> second, what what is human nature? Um, are we all the same deep down? Are we all different deep down? Are we all blank slates? What do you think, man? Yeah, that was another one. I was like, oh, man, uh, I'm going to have to put on my, you know, armchair philosopher. <laughs> uh, man, to me, it's it's survival, man. I, I think because you talk about sin nature, right, as far as we're, we're inherently evil. Um, you know, that's what I was growing up believing. Um, but, you know, I think there could, to, I guess, to to counter that you you know you could say hey we're, we've been placed in a situation where evil is uh pretty convenient you know <laughs> it's like you can um you know we're forced to to do things we probably wouldn't normally do if 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 things were fine um but does that get to the very nature of who we are or is that um something that's just kind of forced and you know we're, we're pushed to these extremes because maybe the universe um, or the you know forces around us are evil. Maybe you know, you know. So it's an interesting question. I think we think about survival. I think people kind of do what they need to do mm-hmm. to survive. Um, most of the time, whatever that may be, even if they do good, it's like hey. I'm going to not be misogynistic because, you know, I probably won't get a wife or I won't, you know, um, you know, have friends. Um, so probably won't do me any benefit to be, to be racist. So I feel like it comes to me, it comes down to survival, but I, I like, I like to me, sin nature was something I held on to after even being a Christian. I, was, I felt like it's very, I feel like it's, it's one of those things that it's not hard to argue that people kind of devolve into, you know, when, when given free reign, they kind of, um, society just kind of goes into this, um, this evil that takes hold and plagues, um, every facet of society. So, um, is, I don't know. It's a good question, man. I, I feel like I, survival is probably how I answer that. You know, I want I want to say sin nature, but it's, but I don't, I mean, I'm just something I'm not really, I think if I were to say that, I would have to like go even deeper, you know? Sure. Sure. Yeah. I'm really interested. Um, and I don't have an answer for this. Um, but I am, I am really interested on, in the question of like, to the extent evil's real, or, you know, if you want to put it in, in Christian terms, sin, like, are we, broken slash evil on a personal level or are we broken slash evil on more of a communal level um like are we <laughs> are we yeah. uh, are we broken people or do we just exist in a broken system or a system yeah. of broken people or whatever and i know um you know in, in the christian tradition the western tradition at least has been much more interested in individual brokenness while the Eastern tradition has been a little more open to this idea of communal brokenness. Um, yeah. And I don't know um, if it's necessarily one or the other, or <laughs> I don't know. And finally, 
what is truth? How do you know truth? How do you know when you know truth? What do you think? Um, I think uh, that for that question, and I feel like I'm like at, I feel like I'm answering like around the questions because I don't really have, <laughs> I don't have like de- definite answers. Um, <laughs> so this one's also twofold for me. It's like I think there's two different types of truth, man. There's things that can be true to you personally, mm-hmm. like, um, for instance, I can have an experience that is spiritual. And I know it might be something spiritual or some 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 force beyond me talking to me. I can't prove it to anyone else. Mm. Um, um, for me, it's it's something weird. It's like if I try to explain it to somebody else, they'd be like, "It's obviously not what I'm thinking it is." Like for me, it's like I always notice the clock at six thirty three, and that was like one of my Bible verses, Matthew six thirty three from Bible yeah. Quiz, <laughs> and. And it's just one of those things that's just like, you know, is that, you know, God talking, you know, <laughs> it's just yeah. like my mind kind of, but it's, it's, you know, that can be a true thing for you. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, it's personal. Then there's truth on like a, a sort of the truth you can establish a government with, you know, mm-hmm. um, where you, you need evidence, you need consensus amongst, you know, disciplines. Um, and I think, you know, peop- the tr- we get into trouble when we try to, I guess, blend those two types of sure. truth. Sure. I feel. Hmm. But, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know if there's a one single, I don't know if science can really account for some of the, some of the other truths out there. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that was... <laughs> That was always one of my other one of my other beefs with the with the new atheist. It's like, yes, science is the only means we have of establishing agreed upon truths about the physical universe, but that in itself doesn't mean that it's the only only way to know things or that everything that is true can be discovered via science, right? Like yeah um, it's it's perfectly like uh, it's not hard at all to imagine something that is true but is not discoverable by science by the nature of what it is you know um, yeah and it, i think they, it's funny because they they will like they will actually make that point themselves which is weird you know that they like i read it i remember reading the god delusion and, and like in the middle in the middle of the book he was arguing for like the existence of aliens and you know? i was like <laughs> it's it's i don't know it just kind of sh- was odd to me you know yeah, yeah um because you know i feel like it's the same kind of thinking as as it's like you can really literally say god is an alien you know that would <laughs> maybe that would <laughs> maybe you know some of these people would um that you know it have a little bit more of um faith in it or, or you know not be so against it but um but yeah with that with that being said man i really when i look at those guys like dawkins and all those guys i think it's tough for me because i i think they started off trying to do something noble mm-hmm. and it just kind of shows the futility of that you know mm-hmm. and i think that's why it ended the way it did where yeah. it's like now 
kind of ended in like racism and sexism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't a. It was it was a pretty ignoble end to the to the movement. Um, yeah. Uh, I, really, I really did, you know, I, I actually liked Hitchens, even though he was, he kind of had like a, he was still the jerk like the rest of them. He, he, I think, <laughs> I think he was kind of sincere, more sincere a lot more, even though he did, like he did mention that he he took delight in, you know, uh, debating. <laughs> and, uh, but I think, I think he was really, I kind of feel for them because I, I think I know what plagues those guys. Mm-hmm. Like they, they obviously are, I think, you know, this is just my theory. I really think they are um, at in, deep inside, like they're really searching. And, you know, that's, you can see, I think that's evident in the work, you know, like they, why else would you spend so much time, you know, learning about Beatles and, <laughs> you know, writing books about, you know, the difference uh, in, in, you know, insects, biology. I think it's searching for something, you know. I mean, of course, it may interest you, but it's, you know, I think. So I don't, I don't, even though I used to, you know, kind of, I, I see the jokes, you know, you guys make, you know, and I, I, you know, I can relate to that. I just also feel a deep kind of uh, compassion, I guess, which is weird. Yeah. It's weird, you know, but I do feel a compassion because I, I feel like they think they they're doing something really good, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and it's the same compassion I, that I have for like a lot of, like even somebody like Paul White, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. where it's like a lot of times people are just trying to help, but it's you know they I think I don't know, it's just it's just interesting. Well, maybe the problem is so many of us put on this facade of certitude, but at the end of the day, we're all just searching, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> am I way off? I have no idea. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, I think that's, I think that's the reality. I, I do know some people who are just strong, like, they're just, they're strong, in the, and I admire that. Because mm-hmm. I mean, the only people who get shit done are people who just like sh- they believe something really strongly. You mm-hmm. know, those that dude is he's gonna change the world. You know, <laughs> sure, sure. You know? And so I feel like, man, I want, I want to be able to, to be to hold myself together enough to do something important. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it's like I I know like before this ends, you know, if I'm I want to have some type of you know, um, you know. Um, foundational you know truth that can withstand you know and that's that's one of the reasons why i haven't been in such a hurry to like i've had opportunities with my music and stuff but i feel like um man if i don't know what i am all the time Mm -hmm. that could actually be a really bad thing for me to to have my music um and me as an artist on a big platform you know Mm -hmm. And so it, it, I've kind of subconsciously sabotaged myself <laughs> in a lot of ways from, from fame and success when it comes to music, uh-huh. um, especially in the Christian music you know, world. That was one of the first, you know, I walked away from a, you know, a, a deal, a record deal and, uh, you know, had a manager and everything. And, you know, he was really upset. 
And I just walked away from it because I, you know, he didn't want me to curse my music, mm-hmm. and and it, it wasn't that big of a deal, but it was just it was one of those things where I knew it was a sign of like a compromise that I would have to make that wasn't real. Mm. And, um, but I mean, it was, it's, it's for the better. I think if, if I'm, I know that before I reach any type of platform, I really want to know what I have to say specifically, you know? Sure. And yeah. Yeah. I think that's important, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, man, I mean, I don't, I don't want to go over too long, man, but uh, I appreciate you having me on for the talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I wish you luck in your career and your search for truth. Um, thanks for coming on the show, man. Um, I hope it was, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> not too much of a bore, man. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was interesting. Um, before we go real quick, you want to tell listeners where they can find you, find your music? Uh, you can go to my site, uh, spacegoesyons.com. All right. And it's on Spotify and everywhere else. So, yeah. Um, all right. This has been Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington. You can find me on Twitter at Luke T. Harrington or go to my website, luketharrington.com. I'm intrigued um, by this phenomenon of um, people being turned off uh, from religion or Christianity in particular by the doctrine of hell. Um, and Jan's only briefly touched on this, but I, I just I keep thinking about this, um, this idea that um, you know the doctrine of hell is offensive or unacceptable um this idea this idea that you know if if you tell someone hey you know you're going to hell that that is like a a personal condemnation or an insult or something I, i don't know um certainly some people saying those words mean it that way. (laughs) Um, but if you take it at face value, that's not really what's going on. Um, this is a terrible, terrible analogy. Um, but I'm just, I'm just going to throw it out there and you can tell me if, if, if this is the world's worst analogy, but like if I, you know, catch some kids, smoking weed or something and say, Hey, you keep doing that. You could go to prison, right? Like I'm not saying, you know, I personally think they deserve to go to prison. I'm not even necessarily saying that I personally feel that weed smoking should be an imprisonable offense. Right. Um, I'm just saying if (laughs) you do this, that will happen. Um, which is at its core, a, a, a factual claim, right? Um, and I, it might even be wrong, right? Like may, maybe, you know, my state legalized weed last week and I didn't get the memo or something. Um, but ultimately I'm not, I'm not saying like you are a bad person, you deserve this. I'm just saying, if you do this, then this will happen. Um, which is a, it's a, it's a claim of fact. It's either true or it's false. Um, and I, I don't, 
I don't think like maybe it's not my place <laughs> to say that to these particular kids. Like maybe it would be better to phrase it in a different way or to get someone else to say it for me. Um, maybe I'm being rude, but ultimately it's, it's not me condemning the kids. It's just saying, this is the direction you are headed under the system that exists. Um, and I don't know, like I said, maybe that's a terrible analogy. Um, and I, you know, if, if you tell me that evangelical Christianity has an unhealthy relationship with the idea of hell, or maybe even a bad, uh, conception of what hell is, I, I, you know, it, I might not disagree with you. Um, but I, I feel like so much of the discourse around that is this idea makes me feel bad. Therefore this idea is bad. Um, and <laughs> maybe that's true of a lot of the discourse, uh, that's happening these days. Um, and I don't know, um, that's kind of why I do this show is, is to try to help think through these things more dispassionately. Um, and I don't know if I'm helping at all right now. I'm just throwing thoughts out there. Um, I don't know. I'm curious, uh, what anybody thinks about that. So if you want to drop me a line, uh, please do. I'm on Twitter at Luke T Harrington, or you can email me at luke.t.harrington at gmail.com. Um, that's it for this week. I really want to thank Jans for being on the show. Uh, once again, I highly recommend you check out his stuff. If you're looking for some very chill hip hop to, uh, provide the soundtrack to your quarantine. I don't know. Are people still saying quarantine? Do the cool kids still say that? I don't know. I want to thank Jonathan Clausen for editing the show. Guy does a good job. Um, I want to thank Raven Creek Social Club for hosting the show. Uh, please check out their other podcasts, um, Faith and Other Oddities and The Commentarians. And finally, I want to thank you for listening to Change My Mind. I'm Luke T. Harrington. Please don't be afraid to change your mind. Mm-hmm.